Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church today. My name is Micah Schwarzman. I am the youth pastor here, and we are so glad that you guys are in the house tonight. Tonight. That's my youth pastor coming out. This morning, uh, I'm not used to preaching in the morning. I'm used to preaching at night. Uh, but we are, we are ecstatic that you're here with us. And um, I just want to say that Jamie mentioned it, but uh, great things are, are happening here at Christ Fellowship. God is on the move. He's doing awesome and amazing things. And this is a great time to be a part of Christ Fellowship. And so I encourage you to jump in with us. And one of the great things that is going on is our college ministry. I love what, what, uh, what is going on right now at TCU. I'm on the college campus. And so get behind them. Get behind what God is doing in the college students and support them after, after service today. They're college students. They're broke. They need all the money they can get. And they're going on a mission trip. I mean, come on. Uh, well, I'm a native Texan, but my wife grew up in South Dakota, uh, as I like to say. And uh, we, when we moved down to Texas from Chicago, it was her first rodeo. No pun intended. She had never been to Texas before. Well, been here, but never lived here. And uh, so we were at our youth retreat last weekend, and she, we were, I don't know how it came up, but uh, somehow it came up that my wife has never eaten a chicken fried steak. She didn't know what it was, actually, and she has never eaten a Whataburger, like ever, in her life. I know, like, their jaw, I know, oh, is she even human? The jaws just hit the floor, like, couldn't believe it. Um, looked at her like she was from another planet, at least from another state. At least that's how Texans view it. And, uh, but uh, during this series, we're not talking about realigning to Texas culture, although I love Texas culture. We are, we are talking about realigning to a kingdom culture. Amen? And so in order to really grasp the kingdom culture, we must be around those who are living out the kingdom values. We must, in order to internalize those values, we must read and understand the word of God. And last but not least, to live out the kingdom culture, we need the person of Jesus manifest through the Holy Spirit to walk it out on a day-to-day basis. The people who have impacted me the most are not necessarily those that I've, I've heard from a pulpit, but those who have demonstrated the life of Jesus in their day-to-day lives and just the common times of life. That's where the power is at. When we take what we learn here and we integrate it into everything that we do on a daily basis. And that's my heart for us this morning. For those of you that drive cars in this room, which is most of us, uh, after you've driven your car long enough, eventually that thing starts to, you know, it starts to, you got you to gotta keep that thing on the straight and narrow. Or that, that pesky shopping cart at Walmart, right? That, no, I'm, no, I'm putting that thing back as soon as I get it. Life is too short to push around shopping carts that just ruin your life. <laughs> just the truth. Can anybody relate? Anybody? Uh, okay. Uh, they, we, eventually, we need a realignment, right? Our cars, those shopping carts at Walmart. I don't know who does that, but somebody needs to do that. Uh, we need a realignment, and, and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about realigning our hearts to Jesus. Um, you know, one of the things that I love to do is I love to play golf and, uh, amen, hallelujah. Uh, and so when I go to the golf range, sometimes I'll put down a club, uh, at my feet and what I, I, I do, the reason I do that is to, to make sure that I'm properly lined up to the target. So it doesn't matter what I'm thinking in my head about where I think I'm aligned, this club determines what is actually true. And in the same way, Jesus is our plumb line. 
He is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we look at Jesus, when we get to know Jesus, we get to know truth, not our experience, not our culture. Jamie started off this Realign series by talking about just that. How do we realign to Jesus? Last week, Todd talked about how do we realign to love. This week, we were talking about how to realign to intimacy. Like, what? Intimacy? What? Like, never heard a sermon preached about that. Well, you're in for a treat. Uh, because I think God has some really good things for us. So our main thing this morning is that God has created us for intimacy with him and with others. God has created us for intimacy with him and with others. Where are you desiring and longing for intimacy in your life? Where are you longing to know others and be known by others? Where are you longing for attention, affirmation, and affection? And where are you turning to find those things? My goal this morning is that you would walk out with a fresh perspective on intimacy and its God-given role in your life. Truth defined not by our culture, but by God, a kingdom culture. So let's jump in to see what, the, what God has to say on this topic. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. That's where we'll start this morning in verse 15. And I'm going to read for us. Okay. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Catch this, before sin was in the world, God saw that loneliness was not a good thing. And what that means is that our need for intimacy actually is not a sinful need, but it's a God-given need that he's placed in, inside of us. And most of the time when we think of needs, we think of needs, our needs as being a bad thing. The thing is, all our needs are not necessarily bad things. It's the way that we go about seeking to have those needs met that is the problem. The needs themselves are not the problem. And the reason he's given us those needs is so that we pursue relationship with himself and with other people. God is a relational God. He's pursuing you this morning and he's pursuing your heart. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but actually too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. I would like to submit to you that your desires are not too strong, they're actually too weak. Can we acknowledge that Jesus is the only one who will really satisfy us, who will satisfy the needs of our heart? May your desire for Jesus grow this morning and may you find him greater than you ever thought possible. When we study the Bible, we discover that the devil actually can't create anything. He can only pervert what has already been created by God. Intimacy was created by God. It wasn't created by the devil. The devil has just taken the opportunity to twist and pervert and, and, and mess with our idea of intimacy. My hope is that as we look at the scriptures this morning, that God would realign us to intimacy. 
and his desire and his intent and his plan for intimacy. Let's continue. Verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. Okay, remember that. Adam and his wife were both naked. They were streaking in the garden, and they felt no shame. See, we don't typically think of marriage in the creation story, but it's one of the most beautiful things that God has created. And it was thought of by God himself. Marriage is not an invention of mankind. It's not an invention of culture as a good idea. It was actually invented and created by God. Before the nation of Israel, before the Ten Commandments had been given, before Noah walked the earth or David slayed Goliath, God created marriage. God loves intimacy. We see in this passage that separation and unity must work together to allow intimacy to form. Sometimes we have to leave certain things behind so that intimacy can happen. When intimacy is done the right way, though, I love this. There's no shame. Let me say it again. When intimacy is done the right way, there's no shame. None. Where are you longing for intimacy? My hope is that with the grace of God, the people of God, and the Spirit of God, you would choose to pursue intimacy God's way. And as, you, as a result, receive the attention, the affirmation, the affection that you legitimately need. You see, attention, affirmation, and affection abound in places of intimacy. Which leads me to my next point. Intimacy is the outcome of love properly expressed. Intimacy is the outcome of love properly expressed. I would submit to you that love, just love, is not the goal in life. Intimacy is. Jesus gives us and he instructs us on love so that we can obtain intimacy with himself and with other people. Don't believe me? Let's look at John 17, verse 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be, be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved even them even as I as you have loved me. What is this passage saying? This passage is saying is that Jesus is after intimacy. He's saying, as I am unified and intimate with the Father, I desire for that same thing for you to be unified and intimate with the Father and for you to be unified with one another. But we're not going to get to that level of intimacy with God or with others unless we learn how to love God's way. Luke 10, 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the commandments are wrapped up in these. A.K.A. love God with everything you got. I've got a little diagram for us this morning to break this down. Visualize it for us. So what Jesus is calling us to is he's calling us to love God with our bodies. He's calling us to love God with our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, personalities. And he's calling us to love God with our souls, with everything that's within us, the deepest places of our hearts. You see, if we leave one of these out, we, are, we, we end up with a compartmentalized faith. We end up with a faith that is out of balance. And it means that we haven't fully surrendered to Jesus yet. Now, we're all in process. I'm in process, right? But we want to surrender to God, body, mind, and soul. All three of those are essential to this. In the Bible, we t- <clears throat> it talks about love. But in the Greek, there's, there's multiple words for the word love that we have in our American culture. There's phileo, which is the love that we demonstrate between friends. There's the eros love, which the root word is erotic, and that's romantic type of love. And then there's the agape love, and that's the love that's talking about, that's talked about in John 3.16, for example, the self-sacrificing love. So the problem is, is that we as Americans have one word for love, and that leads to a lot of, it leads to love being misconstrued a lot of times. Now, I'm not denying the, the eros love. There's a place for that. It's a, it's a gift. Mar- romance is a fog. It's meant to be a fog. But when we define and encapsulate love only as eros love, we're missing the big picture that God is wanting us to get about what love actually is. Jesus is the creator of love. That means he knows how it's supposed to work, and he can define what it is and what it's not. See 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most famous and powerful passage in the New Testament. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen? That is love. That is love. The intention to do good or putting the needs of another above your own. You see, as a culture, we've confused lust with love. Lust seeks to take. Love seeks to give. Love is an action. Love is a verb. Love is a choice. Lust is simply seeking the fulfillment of a selfish desire. Aren't you thankful that love is a choice? Aren't you thankful that Jesus chose to love you even when he didn't feel like it? You see, if you can fall in love, you can fall out of love. When Jesus was on his way to the cross, I'm sure he didn't feel like getting whipped on the back a bunch. Like, I probably didn't feel like doing that. Or probably didn't feel like having Roman soldiers uh, that were, you know, just regular human beings nailing huge nails into his hands. Well, he's hanging on the cross. He probably didn't feel like hanging there on the cross. But you know what? 
He loved you and he loved me enough to do it anyways. He wasn't going to let anything stop him. He was compelled by love. He was motivated by love. You see, Jesus made a choice to love you in that moment. He had you in mind. Love is a choice, y'all. Love is a choice. And that's not just a sad story. It means that Jesus has made it possible for you and me, after the resurrection, to choose love. You can choose love, even when it hurts, even when you don't feel like it. You can choose to walk in purity. You can choose to love your neighbor. You can choose to love your enemy. You see, the ability to choose love makes intimacy possible. Otherwise, it would just be happenstance that we would stumble into it. If love isn't a choice, then we'll just be a victim to our circumstances. God has not made you to be a victim. He's made you to be a victor. This morning, I want to give us some some practicals on how we can choose to love God with our bodies, our minds, and our souls in such a way that will cultivate intimacy in our lives and in your life. We're going to start off with guarding our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Solomon Eight, Song of Solomon 8.4, do not awaken love until it so desires. Don't give yourself away physically or emotionally. It's like a fruit that must be ripe. ripe. When I was in my 20s, I hadn't dated anyone for about seven years, and I really wanted a girlfriend, and I wanted to be married. And that was a desire in my heart. I knew the Lord knew that. But one of my mentors early on, he said, Micah, Instead of focusing all your energy and emotional thoughts and, and life around finding the right person, why don't you focus on becoming the right person? So I began to focus on my character. I began to focus on my friendships and my relationships. I focused on my maturity and becoming the man of God that God had called me and created me to be, tapping into his purposes in the day-to-day despite the fact that I was single. You see, every Saturday across America, people stand at an altar and they make a lifelong marriage commitment to one another. Here's the thing. Just because people stand at the altar and make commitments to one another doesn't mean that they're prepared to fulfill that commitment. Okay, it's called the commitment myth. In what other area of life would, it, would we be okay with, let's say you got a business proposal on Monday. Or you got a test this week. You may be committed to that business proposal going really, really well. You may be committed to, to, to passing that test. But commitment does not make up for a lack of preparation. You have to do the hard work behind the scenes to make sure that you, you knock that business proposal out, that you knock that test out, that you succeed. And so why do we take... Why do we, we, we miss the logic? It's so common sense in, in our day-to-day lives. Why do we not apply that to marriage? It doesn't make sense. You see, saying I do doesn't make a person capable, only accountable. Let me say it again. That's from Andy Stanley, by the way. I didn't come up with that. Saying I do, I know it's good. Uh, saying I do doesn't make a person capable, only accountable. You want to talk about some accountability? Get married. 
Preach. Come on. All right. See, when you're accountable for something that you're not capable of, you'll be, become miserable. You will become miserable. Learn to do relationship with God. Learn to do relationship with other roommates and friends. If you're in this room and you're single, I want to challenge you to take a year. I call it the year challenge. Mark your calendars. February 20th, 2017 is when you can start dating again. Whoa, that's a long time. But hey, here's the thing. Do, so you're like, what, do I, what would I do in that time? Do what you want the person, <laughs> do what the person you want to find would do during that year. Become the kind of person the, the person you're looking for is looking for. Allow God to form himself in you. I promise it will be worth it. And then you will find yourself way more capable and prepared to enjoy the beauty that marriage is. Ask God to show you how to view the opposite sex, how to see marriage, how to do friendships. You won't regret it, I promise. Second way I want to encourage us to love this morning is to renew our minds. Allow Jesus to shape your affections. In your loneliness, where are you turning? It's about to get real. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, then, all right, we, we look at the first part of the verse, sometimes we miss the second part. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's pleasing and perfect will is. Okay, you want to know God's will for your life? Renew your mind. He may not reveal your life calling to you, but I will, I promise you he will reveal his will for you in the moment. We need to renew our minds with the Spirit of God. What are you fantasizing about? Your imagination is a powerful thing. And it can be used for good or for evil. Pornography is a $20 billion industry. $10 billion of that revenue is from America, and that was from 2012. 2016 now. Each week, there will be over 70 million uses of porn, and 46% of those users are married. Every click is dollars given to the porn industry. Every click is keeping women locked up in that horrendous lifestyle. You see, America doesn't have a porn problem. They have an intimacy problem. They're seeking for intimacy in the wrong way. The scary thing is, is that it's not just the, a problem for all the creepy old men that are alone in their apartments. 50% of men and 20% of women in the church regularly look at porn. Y'all, this is not just a problem out there. It's a problem in our house. See, revival doesn't start out there. Revival starts right here. It starts in our hearts. It starts with us getting set free. It starts with us getting real with one another. It starts with us repenting and bringing the darkness into the light. Whatever's in the dark will own you. But whatever you bring into the light, you can walk in freedom from. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Man, God, why aren't you hearing my prayers? Like, 
Why am I not seeing breakthrough? Maybe you haven't humbled yourself before the Lord. Maybe you haven't repented before the Lord. Maybe that is the breakthrough that you're needing this morning. You see, the average age that American youth is exposed to porn is 11 years old. You want to get me fired up? We'll start talking about that. Because the sins of our generation are being passed on to the next generation. Who's going to take a stand? Who's going to say enough is enough? Who is going to say that this is not the right way to live? It's not just you and your, yourself and your computer. All right, this is affecting other people. It's affecting the next generation. We have to do something. We have to stand up. And it starts with us repenting, humbling ourselves, and walking in purity. You see, Jamie, my sermons, the statistics, they're not going to set, that's not enough to set you free. You feeling bad isn't enough to set you free. The devil's already pretty good at that. You see, we need the person of Jesus. We need the presence of God. And we need the people of God. Real church happens when we take our pews and we turn them into circles. We look each other in the eye. We get in each other's lives. Life group is not just another good church meeting to be a good Christian that you should go to. It's actually a place where you can experience true life and freedom. And you get people in the fight with you. You're not meant to do it alone. I'm a little passionate about this in case you couldn't tell. Because I'm passionate about freedom, y'all. I'm passionate about people walking in freedom. I don't see any slaves in this room. You're not a slave to the sin. We must intentionally put ourselves into situations where the presence of God is and the people of God are if we're going to experience freedom. It takes intentionality. We must repent. We must radically expose our sins. Whatever is kept in the dark will own you. James 5.16 puts it this way, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God's heart is for healing. Revival starts in the church. Purity paves the way for intimacy. In your current relationships and your future relationships. Singles in this room, you want to have intimacy with your spouse? Begin by walking in purity right now. Loving them right now by the way that you're living your life. The third way I want to encourage us to love is by laying down our rights. For those of you who are married in this room, you know that intimacy in marriage is a beautiful and precious and a powerful thing, but it's also really, really hard. And it takes a whole lot of work. And it takes a whole lot of sacrifice. But it's the beauty of marriage. It makes, it's what make, makes be marriage beautiful because there's always more to be had. There's more intimacy to be had. There's more I can learn about Rachel. There's more I can learn about her and how she thinks and, and how things affect her. There's more in our relationship. I believe this morning that God wants to strengthen marriages in this room. I believe that he, wanted, he wants to give you a breath of fresh air, a fresh life, an encouragement for you and your spouse. I believe that you're made to make it and not just make it, but to thrive in your marriage. I have come that they may have life and life to the full, Jesus says. You see, one of the most powerful relational principles in the New Testament, whether you're a Christian or not, is what I call the mutual submission principle. Okay, another thing I, I stole from Andy Stanley. And what this is, is talking about in, in Ephesians 5, is that 
the mutual submission principle is that I'm here for you. No, I am here for you. No, 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 no. I am here for you. Okay, and I could keep going back and forth. But do you see the power in that? Do you see how that radically transforms marriage relationships, any relationship, any friendship? And it takes he or she doesn't deserve it out of the equation. Whoa. That's how God has called us to do relationships. That is powerful. Y'all, none of us are worthy of love. I mean, we, you know, we all treat each other in ways that we shouldn't, and we know it. But when we choose the way of love, we choose to say, no, I'm here for you. No matter, and it takes whatever, however you treat me back, I'm here for you. And in marriage, that creates a powerful thing. But cynicism will destroy our marriages. I may have a dim view of people, but whether they're Christians or not, I, ne- I believe that no one re- goes to the altar and says, you know what? I can't wait to just mess this up royally. I just don't think people do that. I think people, when they go to the altar, they actually want to, to obtain intimacy and friendship and companionship and love. But cynicism will destroy the intimacy that God has created for us. We must learn to walk and live out the mutual submission principle in our marriages. Where has your relationship with your spouse grown stale? Where have you given up on relational intimacy and stopped saying, I am here for you unconditionally? Where have you been distracted from loving and laying down your life for your spouse? I want to encourage you, today is a new day. Today is a new day. Today is the beginning of the rest of your life. Renew your vows. Read your marriage vows. Remember them. And ask for the grace of God to fulfill them. If you're stuck in the crazy cycle, I believe men were made to initiate. I believe God has made men to accept responsibility, to reject passivity, and to lead courageously. This morning, it's time to man up. Some of you guys need to recommit yourself to your spouse. One of my mentors would always tell me, Micah, you got to keep dating your wife. you got to keep dating your wife. Men initiate. Men lead. Men pursue. Ladies, it's your job to respond. When we initiate, respond with words of encouragement. Tell us that we're manly, that we're strong, and that you want to follow us. That's like a breath of fresh air to us men. It's empowering. It's an invigorating thing. Forgive quickly. Love generously. Ladies, we need you. Desperately. More than we like to admit sometimes. But really, we do. We need your tenderness. We need your compassion. We need your love. We need your encouragement. I believe the health of a culture is directly tied to the health of its families. And the church will only be as healthy as its families and, and, their fa- and our families will only be as help- healthy as our marriages. I believe that, and I would submit to you that the most important relationship in your life is not your kids, it's actually your spouse. Because if we don't do 
if we don't do marriages the right way, then our kids will suffer. Unfortunately, in friendships and dating relationships and marriages, things don't all always go the way that we hoped. Things don't always go the way that we planned. And the thing with intimacy is that if you open yourself up to be loved by somebody, you also open up yourself to be hurt by them. See, intimacy is a powerful thing. And when intimacy is torn away or broken, uh, it, it leaves some of the biggest scars that we'll ever experience in life. It's a risk. It's a, it's a risk that, that is required to experience intimacy. And sometimes we get burned. If you've been hurt by intimacy in this room, whether it was from a dating relationship, a friendship, family member, or a marriage, I believe God wants to bring healing to you today. Specifically, want to touch on single parents in the room. I grew up in a single parent household, so I firsthand understand and, and realize and know the, uh, the, the struggles that come with being a single parent. I've seen that side. I've lived it. These people, our single parents don't need our judgment, they need our help. It's one of the most challenging things to do in the world if you're a single parent. If you're a single parent in this room, I want to say to you that you're not alone. We're here for you and don't give up. Keep fighting, keep loving, keep believing. And if you're not a single parent in this room, let's be the church. Let's support these people, moms and dads. Let's get behind them. Invite them over for dinner. Ask them how you can help out. Give to them. Not just those in this room, but those around you in our community that are single parents. We must get behind our single parents. We must love them because they are in a battle, just like we all are. In conclusion, I believe God has made you for intimacy. And he wants to teach you how to love in such a way that you can experience it the way that he designed it. If you'll stand with me as the band comes forward and the ministry team comes forward. And I want to pose a couple of questions for us this morning. What if the church was known for healthy marriages? What if the church was known for healthy dating relationships? What if the church was known as the biggest advocate and help for single parents in the community? What if we walked in purity because we were seeking intimacy God's way and not the world's way? How would our culture view us? How would the church actually begin to shape culture and not the other way around? What if we walked in purity because we were seeking God's heart? God has made us for intimacy first with him and then with others. When we do friendship, when we do dating, when we do marriage, when we do sex God's way, it paves the way for intimacy in our relationships where we can love and be loved, where we can know others and be known by others, where we can receive the attention, the affirmation, and the affection that we all need in this room. If you're in this room and you're struggling with loneliness, we are here for you. If you're in this room and you need to repent from any form of sexual sin or addiction that you're currently struggling with, battling against, dealing with, we're here for you. 
If you're in this room and you need healing from a past relationship or abuse, physical or emotional, Jesus is in the room today and he wants to heal you. We are here for you. If you're in this room and your marriage is struggling and suffering or it's stale or it's on the rocks, today's a new day. And we're here for you. We want to get behind you. We want to support you and your spouse. Jesus wants to bring restoration. If you're in this room and you've never given your heart to Jesus and you don't know what it means to have an intimate friendship with Jesus, to know him as a father, to know him as a friend, today is your day. Today is your day. Come up. Get prayer. Ask, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. Can you help me? I believe Jesus wants to move in our hearts this morning. So as we worship, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Don't leave this place without getting the help that you need. Don't leave if you need somebody to put a hand on your shoulder and to pray for you. Let's meet with God. Let's meet with God now as we finish out the service. Today's a new line, new day. Let's realign our hearts to Jesus.